right. Oh my god, this is fucking awesome. Okay. Just, <laughs> just are we, How am I? We, are we allowed to swear on your podcast? Oh, please do. Please do. <laughs> yes, definitely. Okay. We are from Europe, remember? Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, no, this is amazing. Oh my God. So we are live (laughs) on uh, on the Albrecht Authors TikTok. How about that? Hello and welcome to another episode of Unboxing Women, where we explore the gender gap in the music and entertainment industry. My name is Dana Rex and with me is my friend Micah Rose, and we are here to reveal what really goes on behind the scenes. You can listen to us on our YouTube channel and on your favorite podcast platform. And with us today are Mary and Katie Albrecht, and they are an aunt and a niece from the suburbs of Chicago. They wrote a book together about the abuse they and their family went through by the hands of Mary's brother, who is Katie's father, a mentally ill, narcissistic abuser. Both of them being the one picked by him to endure more and get it worse than the others, these women had had enough and when Katie left years after Mary did, they found each other again and vowed they would have no more secrets. The name of their podcast. (laughs) As you can see. You see see how I did that? It's a very fancy sign. (laughs) That was good. We do have it very loudly up here, you know? (laughs) So um, you guys made it your mission to talk about your struggles and history of abuse to help others stop taboo. That's what we like. Um, Yeah. So this led you to write a book. Uh, So tell us just a bit more about, you know, your shared history and how you found each other after all those years. You want to start? Sure. By the way, she's the aunt. I'm the niece. Yeah. If you guys couldn't tell. <laughs> you got it backwards. <laughs> um, well, first of all, thank you. thank you for having us. <laughs> um, being here. This, this is a, I, you guys have a really good show. I was listening to a few episodes right before this, too, and I, I think you guys are doing a great job. Thank you. Um, oh, we, thank you. So we're from, like you said, we're from the Chicago area, from America. It's nice to talk to people from a, a, across the pond and everything. Um, we, growing up, my, when I was growing up, I knew Mary, but I didn't really know her um, because my the relationship she had with my father uh, was so abusive and strained that I only saw her from like a distance. And a couple years ago, so 2015, that being said, we started to um, get to know each other a little bit more. Um, But then I think the catalyst in our relationship was after my grandma's funeral. I called her for help because my dad was ordering prescription drugs from a drug dealer. And I was fed up with it. I was mm. fed up with all the problems, all the the abuse and all of the sweeping it under the rug. So I called her kind of a shot in the dark. Um, she thought I was grieving from my, my grandma's funeral. Yeah. I was like, oh, are you sad tonight? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, I am, but <laughs> I also need to vent about this. And I ended up talking to her about it. And she's like, I absolutely understand. And she started to share from her childhood and that was kind of like the, the first moment where we came together as what we are now. Exactly. Yeah. Because she thought that her dad was a raging alcoholic slash drug addict. Mm-hmm. But I told her he's been mentally ill since I've known him, which is our my entire life. He was two years older. So I could tell he was mentally ill by the time I was about five and he was seven. 
long before alcohol, long before drugs and everything like that. Wow. So that was shocking to her because she's like, wait, you mean this, you, you've gone through the same thing. And I'm like, yes. And it's, this is what happens with abuse. When you don't break the cycle, it repeats, you know? And so three decades later, basically she was it telling was my happening. story over again. Wow. And wow. we were just tired of it. We're like, what is, why is this guy still uh, torturing all of us? And he wasn't just ordering prescription drugs. He was storming around the house, according to you, and screaming at people. It was you know, the day after my really mom's funeral up. and everybody's sad and everybody's trying to heal and come together as a family. And he's trying to get $40 out of, out of Katie's mom so he can pay for his illegal drugs and screaming at people. And, and Katie was just done. She's like, I'm so done. I was done with like, sorry, I was done with the, the pretending like it was fine. Cause it, that was a kind of a trend in our family is that it, these blowups would happen and they started to happen more and more towards the end of my dad's life. Um, and then we would just all be like, okay, well, we're going to keep the peace and then push it down. Um, and then pretend that that didn't happen. There was never any apologies, even though there was a lot of name calling, there was physical abuse, like there was never any of that. And we just had to keep pretending like it was all good. And then that, that just wasn't the case. And it just was driven, it driven me to, I thought I was going to become insane. Yeah. I, just yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. Doing it over and over again. Well, and she, she ran away from it. I ran away from it when I was, you were 22. I ran away from my home when I was 22. Mm -hmm. um, because you just get fed up and you have no other way to control it except for to run away because nobody will listen to you and nobody will help you or help him for that Which matter. Is a, a good point. Yeah. yeah. Cause he needed help. Uh, severe mental help. Um, especially early on is when it might've been a little bit preventable of all this, the other effects from it. So we, we realized we had a lot in common. We both had a Honda Accord when we drove away from our family's house. I mean, um, it was just weird. Uh -huh. we yeah. Three. Yeah. Um, there was other stuff too, but I can't really remember. And I, I ran away to Rhode Island, but she ran, she ran away to his abuser 30 years later, but not knowing, or mm -hmm. his abuse Z. Abusing, yeah, yeah. He's abusing, yeah, you like his, abuser, his, yeah. his victim, <laughs> but she didn't know I was a victim at that time. Yeah. She didn't know it was that, that deep. Yeah. And so it was just interesting how the parallel of the three decades later, and we're both, we both have the same role in the family where in my nucleus, I was always like, what's wrong with you people? Why are you accepting this? He's running around, throwing me against the wall, throwing me down the stairs, kicking me, screaming, you know, belligerent. And I'm the bad guy because I'm saying, you know, we need to call the police. I'm the bad guy, you know, and it's the same exact, she's the same role in her family and her and her mom to, I try to defend her mom who's still alive. My mm -hmm. mom and dad are gone, but my mom is really the one who perpetuated the cycle in her mom. And she just would, her mom was just trying to get by, you know? Right. So it was just, yeah. But um, anyway, we decided I, I was joking because she was down here. I have a fitness studio and my clients are like all my friends and we were joking around and talking and talking about all the different things that her dad does and he did when I knew him mm -hmm. and they're you know they're like you can't make this shit up you know and they're like this is amazing you guys should write a book and <laughs> I, I like yeah right we're gonna write a book and Katie's like I think we should write a book I think we should write a book <laughs> <laughs> and, I think we actually should and she always wanted to write a book mm -hmm. so we wrote a book about 
that whole year from when my mom died till unfortunately my brother died 11 and a half months later. Um, but we wrote about that whole 11 and a half months and flashbacks, mostly my flashbacks because I'm the older one, you know, I have more. And it brought together the whole story. And I think it, it was, it was about the, this person, my, my dad, but it was also about our relationship and how we came together. And I think that was a big theme throughout all of it is that you, when you find someone who validates you, it's like an unbreakable bond, you know, for the, for, the I had stuff. given up on the Albrechts and on anybody ever speaking the truth about our family dynamics until she came along. And we actually made the tagline. Our book is called broken neck and it's bro it's broken uh, but neck is spelled N-E-K because my brother's name is Ken. Mm -hmm. And we would always say, oh, neck is out when he was acting, you know, twisted and backwards. So we'd call him neck. And then when we were going to name the book, I'm like, it needs to be something like severed neck or twisted neck or whatever. <laughs> so I put in broken. And that it sounds pretty gory. <laughs> and it came up on my phone in two, in two um, lines, bro, Ken. Ken. And yeah. I didn't realize that not only does Ken break us and he's broken, but the word brother is in the word and the word Ken is in the word. Yeah. So it became yeah. broken neck. Mm -hmm. And then Katie had said that I had become the family she never knew she always wanted. That's so, nice. Yeah. So our tagline is tagline, finding the yeah. family you never knew you always wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of symbolism in, in the title and also in that tagline. Absolutely. Yeah. And then Very the well sweeping, done. I don't know if you can see it, but the, our cover has a um, somebody sweeping crap under the rug. Under the rug. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. Yes. yeah. A little background on how we came to or why we wanted to write the book anyway and kind of what yeah. it's about and stuff. So. And it was super therapeutic to do so. It was, yeah. It, it's it it's was, in the form of a memoir, kind of. How how because you're saying it's flashbacks. It's yeah. definitely a memoir. It's called a memoir, but um, but people say it's more like a psychological thriller because you can't. I mean, this is like two percent of some of the crap that Ken did in his lifetime, you know. And we so we wrote it kind of. We wrote it in the first person. Um, perspective. So we kind of wrote it more like it reads like a novel almost, but it's true to our memory as we can make it. So both I of guess. you are speaking in this in the first person, basically. Yep. As mm -hmm. one. So you're basically coming along right with us um, as we tell our story. Because our relationship unfolds during the story and we get mm -hmm. closer and closer and more and more secrets come out. And I start sharing more about things that happened to me. And, um, and we even have it so that like sometimes like on the 4th of July, we're hearing fireworks and, and then she's over where she is hearing fireworks, but we wish we could be together, but we're not. So we're kind of like, you know, trying to do this dance toward each other. So one chapter would end and then the other chapter would kind of repeat it. But from their perspective, from the other person's yeah, perspective, there was some, some overlap there. Oh, wow. yeah, sure. yeah, it was really fun. And uh, we actually started the book before Ken died. And yeah. we were a little worried about that because we probably would have gotten shot yeah. <laughs> or thrown out, you know, off a cliff or something. It, but it wouldn't have been pretty. It just worked out that he died. And we're like, OK, now we know how our book is going to end. And he died on on his living room floor um, Christmas Day, the first Christmas without my mom. Mm -hmm. so oh, she, le she, she left. 
without my mom was dead. She passed not, away. Not her mom. Yeah, not. Yeah, my mom. So her grandma. Oh, All grandmother. Right. Okay, yeah. okay. They get confused because I'm. They think I'm the niece. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, naturally. <laughs> we get this all the time. But yeah, so the, the timeline <laughs> was was like 2015. So in January, my grandma passed away, her mom. Okay. And then in, in December, so Christmas that year, my father passed away. So that yeah. was kind of sandwiched in between the two deaths with some like flashbacks mm. to the past and everything. But. And, and as to how he got this bad, you know, and, and then we actually got told too that... The book is, my brother had just about every level of mental illness you can possibly think of. I mean, he was an addict. He was, you know, had rage. He was a narcissist, a sociopath, you know, manipulative, pathological liar. I mean, just, you can't, he had all of it. So a lot of people have given us the feedback that they could use this book as a textbook in some of the mental health uh, courses in college and things like that. And so that's when we thought, okay, if we can teach about how mental health goes awry when you don't try to do something, Mm -hmm. then we could actually help more people. And then Ken's life matters in the positive way. Mm-hmm. Even though he's yeah. dead, at least, you know, because it wouldn't have existed otherwise. And so that's where the podcast started, our podcast, because we're like, oh, now that we talk the podcast. About okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was actually meaning to ask um, about um, how you decided to say this is my story to tell, because obviously it is your story to tell because you went through that abuse. Um, but how did you get? past that feeling of laying out all the things your dad did or your brother did to you? I mean, before he died, did you think about his privacy as well? Or did you just think about how will he react? Um, Because I I mean, I personally have family who have gone through mental issues and I struggle with that concept of not knowing how much is my part to tell. Right. Um, Well, I think you struggle more because I still struggle with it. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to lie about it because it's, uh, it, it's hard to expose all of the sides of you, of yourself and, and your family members and everything. Mm. Um, like we said, like it was just easier once he passed that we could, we felt a little bit more comfortable about it. Um, because we, we do feel like it is our story. We, we try to say it like this is just from our perspective of what happened. Yeah. And it's if he was alive, he could have written a book about it, too, you know, and exactly. said something's like separate. <laughs> but this was our story that we wanted to share from our perspective and hopefully yeah. trying to help ourselves, which it did a lot. This was such a healing process, especially grieving him at the same time. Um, yeah, it was really odd. It was hard to be grieving your abuser. But you know? putting it on paper <laughs> um, just really got it out of my head, which made me feel uh, healthier mentally yeah. and everything. And but my, it is a struggle sometimes. And my mom had passed. My dad had bad dementia right after my mom passed, so he never was aware of the book. I have an autistic brother remaining that knows about the book but doesn't want anything to do with it because he didn't think it was fair to write about Ken when he's not here to defend himself. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't really have anyone in my nucleus that 
can really give me a hard time, but Katie is young and still has her two siblings and her mom. Right. And mm. they, they were a bit about as supportive as they possibly could be, especially her they mom, were. you know, cause, yeah. but it was awkward her, you know, hearing about her husband It's yeah, you know, yeah. and just hearing what he did to me and, it there were some pretty tough times there with your mom. It, yeah. yeah. And we, what I like about my mom and I's relationship now is that it kind of opened up more conversations with her. And I feel like we could finally talk about stuff op- like freely that we didn't before because we were always had this like image as a family. Like we couldn't like act like things were wrong, you know, and yeah, um, having it out there and having just, and being just up front with her before it got published, we gave them like a copy um, to read. And I said, this is just a point in time of like how I felt in the moment. This is not necessarily how I feel now. And I tried to like, really like drill that in whether or not it worked. It's up for discussion, you know, like, I don't actually know, but I did whatever I could to like brace them for it. Yeah. If that makes yeah. Sense. And she was young to go through that. I'm, I'm older and I, I knew Ken long before any of them did, you know, so I kind of feel like he's my brother. I can say what I want. You know, I grew (laughs) up with him, you know, from, so it's like, Mm -hmm. it is my story, you know, and. uh, Oh, it definitely is. Yeah. And we're using it and we're using it for good. This is the thing Mm -hmm. we're using. We're not just sitting here bad mouthing Ken all the time. We're trying to shine a light on let's talk about mental illness. Let's. Yeah share about it like we share about our knees being bad or our backs being bad how about my brother's a sociopath what can I do you know like help me whereas when I would do that in the past with the social workers at school or whatever my mom would come down on the social workers and then the social workers would like stop talking to me Mm -hmm. you know and they would abandon me same with the pastor at their church you know the the level of cover-up was just insane yeah, wow. I, I think it's indeed, you know, you have an abuser, but you also have, uh, let's say, a survivor. And the the healing for the survivor is a huge part, talking about it, not to badmouth anybody, but you have to get it out of your system. You have to find people who have gone through the same thing to, uh-huh. you know, be able to talk to them about it and just to find common ground say oh I had that too and just feel that you're not alone and in that I think it's true yes you're you kind of are talking about somebody else but you're talking mostly about what you went through and what happened to you so it's yeah uh, yeah it, it is a fine line though but but I totally get why you should talk about it I think I think yeah no I get it too yeah, yeah. I just thought it was a really interesting kind of thing. It's been something that's been on my mind recently. So, well, I'm interested to ask. It's so it's not easy, but it's freeing. Yeah. I am I am mentally and emotionally healthier than I've been ever in my life since we published I this can, book. I can say the same. And she's too. helped me with that. She, you know, she's my Dumbledore. What the oh, hell gosh. is that thing? But I don't know Harry Potter. Yeah. But she said I'm her Dumbledore or something. Well, well yeah, because she was like, I'm like the Harry, and then she was the, the one that was guiding me through it, is how I Yeah. Knew. Yes. <laughs> yeah, just, just just don't don't let her die and, and <laughs> right and maybe come back. I'll keep her away from Snape. Yes, that? exactly. Right. That's, that's perfect. <laughs> well, I didn't I did <laughs> the other way around. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> 
But um, Harry dies too, if that, if that makes you feel better. Yeah. <laughs> this is a very depressing story. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't with this book, though, that you guys toured the Midwest? Because I, I, I read something about you guys touring and speaking at events. How did yes, that happen? Did, yeah. Yeah, we uh, we got asked. Uh, it started with a local therapy organization mm -hmm. in town called Youth and Family Counseling in Libertyville, Illinois, and they asked us to be spokespeople. And would you be willing to uh, do a book talk like a book club, but they all pay like $50 to come and they get a copy of the book and they hear our story and the money goes to this nonprofit Youth and Family Counseling. And so... Mm -hmm. And it was a client of mine that asked me that. And I said, okay. And we got like 45 like, or 50 people. I think it was like 50 people wow. at our first one. And they was at my studio. Great, yeah. And so we made like 2500 to $3,000 because we had some people that gave that didn't come um, for, for that. For youth, the youth and family counseling. For the we, youth we and family counseling. Them. And so we're like, okay, wow. We're, we're, we really have a story. And it really mattered to people. And we got a standing ovation. And yeah. they nice. were and it, it, I was very it, nervous for that first one because it was, uh, again, you're you're exposing yourself and and the, the things that you hide away to a crowd now, not just writing it in a book. And it's, but it, it ended up being very rewarding, you know, because people could empathize and they also felt like they could share their own stuff too. And then that's exactly what happens is right after that they start saying, you know, like how you just said, Micah, you know, you've got the situation in your family and it, and they feel open, and then other people said, you know, would you like to come talk to my book club? Would you like to talk downtown Libertyville? We have something called First Friday where all the businesses are open when we could be on the street selling our book and telling our story and stuff like that. And so it was kind of like, who knows who knows who? And then she's from Wisconsin. And so some of your friends lined some things up. Mm -hmm. nice. we, did a couple, um, we did a couple Barnes and Noble talks. We did a, a talk at a library. We did a, a uh, from our Barnes and Noble talk, um, we got uh, someone came to that, and there was they were part of like a local um, go was it government like the the what you know the GLMV. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was like a local um, the Grace like Chamber of, Chamber, Chamber of, Commerce. of Commerce. Yeah, yeah. and they wanted us to do a talk for a bunch of ladies, and then um, towards the end of the the year, I think our biggest event, we did another one for youth and family counseling again. This one was a gala um, of nice. an audience of about 200, 275, 275 wow. people and we raised $75,000 $75, for the for, organization, wow. which from speaking our story. And all we did was tell our story. And then that's an auction. And, and the auctioneer is like, um, come on, these ladies are brave. Come on. Can I, you know, anyone bid a hundred, how about a thousand, how about 1500? And it just kept going. Wow. And we raised more money than any other of their speakers that's ever what, had. Yeah, that's what they so, told us. And it was, um, <laughs> so then you start to feel confident, like, okay, what well, I do actually have something to share. I'm not a bad person. Like nobody said, how dare, well, yeah, nobody really said, how dare you say that? And not anybody that you know, maybe a little bit in the family, but not. I see. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. there's always going to be one. <laughs> it exactly. Also, like, you just think like, I mean, I know you know this, but think about all the good that you've created through that is absolutely insane. It's really courageous. And people it's... are, are saying that they feel like it's a long therapy session, like a, or a, like a, 
like they got a year of therapy in one podcast because you don't know who's listening. You're putting it on recording. So you're really out there. Right. Which is freeing. Mm. But you know? when you're, and you guys know this, but when you're recording, you're just talking to whoever you're talking to. So it's like, it, it it's, you get to say your story, you get, you get to get it out of your system without um, the pressure of like a hundred eyes on you at once, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so that's true. It's, it's a little safer. It's safer. Yeah. I think guests feel really good afterwards. True. Usually. Because it is. Yeah. And, um, and then the podcast came about one day at a talk. How did that happen? We just one day said, yeah, we're going to do a podcast too. We had never talked about doing a podcast, but we said it in front of an audience of like 45 and then, people. And then you had, and had to. to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and then our, our people, Shane and Travis, who you met, right? they, they were, were filming us there. We hired them to And they're to like, like, we can make it. a podcast for you. We're like, okay, we're doing a podcast. Right. Yeah. I guess we have to do <laughs> this Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and now we've been doing that. We published the book in January of 2019 mm -hmm. and started the podcast in September of 2019. And now we just basically do the podcast and a little bit of blogging. Um, not really a, as much writing of books or anything like that, you know, but the pot, as now, you guys yeah. know, it all takes, it takes a lot of effort. And, well, that's, and that's how I, I stumbled upon you guys, you know, because of the podcast and I listened to it and I'm like, oh my God, narcissistic <laughs> abuse and everything. And I was going kind of through, um, well, not exactly the same thing, but, but just that similar, you know, I also a survivor of a narcissistic abuser. And then you mm -hmm. hear about this stuff and you're like, oh, you know, there's this whole world with a, a bunch of people in it that have gone through similar things and who are talking about it. And it's so healing. So, yeah, mm. thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Is that how you just happen to be, what, searching podcasts or what, you know, were you searching topics on podcast apps or what? I were think I was probably searching topics. Yeah, because I had found one one podcast talking about uh, narcissistic abuse and I just I just wanted more I just wanted to hear more and find more people because it it just felt good to not be alone and not be the freak you know and not be uh, because obviously in narcissistic abuse you you get to they make you feel like it's you they make you feel like you're the crazy one and so it was it was just out of that sentiment that I just went to look for other people who were saying, no, it's not you, you know, and I wanted to find uh, the most people possible to say, you're not crazy. <laughs> it's the it's other right. guy. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's and really healing. It's yeah. hard when you're for 30 years, you've been told by like my mom and then her grandparents and maybe your mom just because of parroting my mom and dad that you are the crazy one. So it's hard to undo that because mm -hmm. you grow up thinking, you know, that you're the, it's you that Mary, you're always seeing the worst in your brother, Mary, he's leave him alone. He's a very sensitive person and you're egging him on Mary. It's because you were born that he hates you so much because oh. you replaced him, that kind of stuff. I mean, she would just pull out the knives <laughs> and, but you're a kid. You know, and I, mommy, mommy, can you please help Kenny? He's in his room and he's got a blanket over his head. And he was like seven and he's talking to himself and he's saying it's, he's rocking. Mommy, can you please help him? He's rocking. I think he hurts, you know, and she'd be like, Mary, just leave him alone. You're, you're bothering him. That's why he's in his room with the blanket over his head. Wow. It's your fault. 
be nice to him and he'll get better. So then you try to be nice and then you get more walked on and more controlled. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon adolescence comes and then it gets violent Yeah, and there's anger. And then it, it turned into, uh, <coughs> um, he, he raped me and it was terrible because I thought, well, now my mom will help me. And I went to her and she told in the ER, she said I was a liar. I was a virgin. So I was bleeding. And she said, I was a liar. You had sex with your boyfriend. I know you did. And she convinced the doctor to put me in a mental hospital. Oh, my God. But I mean, I mean, that's the level like she was willing to put me away in a mental hospital when I was like a sophomore in high school. You know what that does to you? Like when you're and. And again, you're in the hospital thinking, and I, I wrote it in the book, how I shouldn't have said that. I egged him on. I told him he was ugly and to get away from me and no woman would ever want him. And he raped me. It's my fault. It's my fault. Yeah. You know? And so it just, you get so tangled up with like how you said, thinking you're the crazy one. I must be the crazy one, you know? Yeah. So, I just, I'm just thinking because this is not just one person and one abuser. No. I mean, this is more, I mean, more abusers, <coughs> you know, help basically helping each other. How, how can you, cause that's, I mean, I'm sorry, this is about your mom I'm talking about, you know, it's very strange for me to do that. But I mean, the but enablers. Isn't, 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 yeah, how can you, how can you, but how, how can you justify that? How? Yeah, how can you justify acting that way? Doesn't it's, make sense. It, 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 and, it, no. and that's the nature of, I think, of a narcissistic abuser or that type yes. of abuser is there's always other players in the mix, kind of mm-hmm. like what you're saying, Dana. Um, there's always people that will enable it and make the other people that try to stand up to it, like um, act like they're crazy too. So then you don't just have the the abuser, you have other people wanting to keep the peace. So then they just like allow it to happen. And then also and, like discourage you from speaking up about it. Yeah. It, it, begs, it begs, it's, it's very twisted and it begs the question you know, are these people charmed by the abuser and, you know, they will they will defend him and go through all the lengths or are they abusive themselves as well? Because because and they and they say they say a lot of times when you're supporting like the therapy I've done in, you know, mm-hmm. especially the recent years says that if you're that much of a defender of a narcissist, you probably have narcissistic qualities yourself exactly, or have developed yeah. them because that's the only way you can survive. You yeah, know? it's mm-hmm. it's probably it so. might be a defense, but still, you know, you're you are you're just doing the same thing, basically. And right. yeah. Katie's Katie's brother, her older brother thinks that my parents were terrified of my brother, like that they that he would kill them, huh. you know, if they if they kicked him out or didn't give him money or whatever, that they would, they would be dead. Mm-hmm. And so, and I never really thought of it that way, but maybe they were afraid of him and you know, afraid of what he would do to I think society, were, not me. It's possible. But I also think they were just more afraid of their image looking differently than, yeah. Or looking bad, you know, if it like, if it got I out. Mean, but at the, at the same time though, how is it, um, this is again, rational thinking on something that probably wasn't <laughs> rational thinking, but um, 
how is it that it's okay to send your daughter to a mental hospital, but not okay to send your son to one? Doesn't make sense, does exactly. it? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's in, it's infuriating. It's the same scandal, like <laughs> scandal or whatever. Right. It's not a scandal, still- but it was right. So my therapist, my current therapist thinks it's because somehow they knew I could take it. Like I would somehow be okay. I would somehow forgive them and I would somehow be okay. And I did, I mean, you know, forgive them. I, I, I came back into their lives when I, when I was like 28 and um, I took care of them when they were sick. And mm-hmm. I was how long good- were you in the hospital for though? That was uh I think it was three weeks. Um, and, and I, you know, my therapist, again, she convinces me that I was born strong because I think, oh, I've gotten so strong. And she's like, there's no way you weren't born strong because you survived all of that, you know, because then I'm in the mental hospital and there's all these people around and I'm like, well, <laughs> I might as well try to get to know some people. So before you know it, I was leading like little balloon tossing classes and, and trying to make everyone laugh and, you know, kind of just trying to be the, the light, the happy, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, I guess they realized I didn't really belong there, you know, (laughs) so they let me out, but then you get back to high school and then it was different because I would be walking down the hall and I could see people whispering. Yeah, you, you, know? were, you were the girl that went to the mental I was the girl that went to the yeah. mental hospital. And, yeah. In what, the, was that the 80s? No, that was the 70s or? Uh, 80. That was okay. like, I graduated in 82. So it was like, you know, almost 19. Yeah, yeah. so mental health wasn't really a topic. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Yeah. They were stigmatized. They were, they were scared of me. So, but the worst part about this is that I just sprung it on Katie one day because we had been getting close from January till October, end of October of 2015. And this is what I'm saying about no more secrets. When you start getting so close to somebody, you don't want to hold back anything. You know, and we're sitting out on my deck at home and she was there and a little bit of wine and whatever. And I just said, you know, your brother raped me. And it was multiple times. It didn't end after that because I thought that I was the bad guy and I didn't want to be thrown out of my family. And she was 23 by then. Mm -hmm. But how horrible for her to hear that about her father that she already knew was abusive and because he never did that to them. Yeah, for, I was fortunate in that regard, um, and I did not react uh, well to it. I immediately believed her, but I also felt disgusted um, because I was like, I came from him, uh, and that's where my thoughts went anyway. Because I was like, this this is awful. I I can't believe that my dad did this to his sister. Yeah, some you know, kind of guilt you know, or yes, yeah, feel like shame. Sick. Yeah, that I came shame. Yeah, and oh my goodness! But instantly, I was like, it made perfect sense that uh, that he would have done that. Everything, all of his behavior towards her, there was a lot of anger towards her, and and not really. I never really understood why, you know. Um, and then Mary used to dress. Um, a little bit more baggy <laughs> yeah like wear like baggy clothes and everything even though you were like in fitness and, and all that and there was just pieces of the puzzle that just like clicked as soon as i heard that and i'm like this is 
this is horrible. This is like, this is the most twisted I thought our family is. And I thought our family was already pretty twisted, you know, like from all this. And this, so it was just kind of alarming for me and took me a long time to um, come to terms with. Spawn. She wrote in the book, I'm a, I'm the spawn of a monster. Yeah. Uh, uh. And then you stopped talking to him permanently and then he died. Yeah, so this is all in our in Broken Neck. We wrote about it, and um, as far as the the writing piece, we I mean, when I asked Mary, I wrote my perspective of that moment, and I said, "You do not have to put this in, but you can read it, and if you want to include it, this could work if we tell it from my perspective, because then I feel like it empathizes. The reader will empathize because you're reading from like my perspective of i don't know how to describe it well you know her her first thing is that she besides it making sense it seems like whenever somebody hears things like this they they always they like doubt the the victim victim. they blame the victim but if you hear from someone who believes her instantly i feel like it would have a better it would help me and and not Mm -hmm. that but you but you did but you also expressed that you know, that, right. that, that makes sense. She said, the first thing she said is, I'm really sorry that happened to you, yeah. but I need to get out of here. I'm disgusted. Mm. <laughs> and she had to leave and mm-hmm. scream in her car and just bawl and scream. And then she moved to downtown Chicago uh, yeah. for um, at least a year and a half or something, just to get away from everything, including him. She didn't give her mom or her dad her address. Um, and she wasn't intending on spending christmas day with him because this was end of october and then mm-hmm. two months later that was that christmas and and then he, you know you get up in the morning and you're feeling like okay i'm gonna do something different for christmas but i'm not gonna see my parents and then you get the call that they oh, found yeah. him dead and you and you're like yeah. oh you know <laughs> now every christmas is about him <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> thanks <laughs> well okay i'm just gonna tell you because at first I was like, shit, now he ruined, because he would ruin every holiday, like well, no matter what. There you go. <laughs> but but yeah. then my hu- actually is about him. My yeah. husband, who is just like this great man, he's he's like, are you kidding me? That was the best fucking Christmas I've ever had. And he's like, thank you for the gift of dying. I mean, he was so, he, he's like, he didn't ruin it. He made every Christmas great <laughs> from now on. A celebration. Good point. Yeah. This is so intricate. The story that you're telling of the, the perspectives overlapping. How, I mean, I think I I realize when I read your book, blogs that uh katie you are in the world of writing or journalism somehow is that correct mm-hmm. yeah i work full-time on outside of this okay well. well i mean one thing is writing an actual it's one thing to write an actual book but how do you find a publisher or how do you find help in in molding this story was it did you do this all on your own or were there people guiding you and giving you tips on how to how to do this we definitely had a lot of help we with us. we had people give us advice and critiques and critiques and critiques because i think that's a big um part of writing is that you have to have thick skin um because people are going to reject it in some form and it's just going to happen like there's no way around it 
um, so then we would get, we had <laughs> author friends and we, we gave it to, to them to look at acquaintances. And they, okay. Yeah. And they mm-hmm. kind of critiqued it a little bit. And we, we took those critiques and tried to make our story better. And, um, and you even took a class. I took a class on, yeah. on all of that, like editing and, uh, writing query letters and, and all that stuff. So, but I'd have to say we really wrote it, like, meaning we had no idea what we were doing and we just sat down and we started putting stuff on paper and it was awful. I mean, it was, it didn't make any it sense. It was a trial was, and error yeah. process. <laughs> and, uh, and then we would revise it and start over. And we, we just kept putting it on paper until it molded itself. And we kind of learned to be writers together. I mean, she was always a good writer prior to that. And I would write some But I had a lot about, to learn. Yeah. I had a lot to learn. And what's nice is having a co-author because we would motivate each other because mm-hmm. there's times when you're just like, oh, I don't even want to do this anymore. You know, mm-hmm. as for as far as a publisher goes, uh, we decided that, well, she wanted to try the, the traditional route. But what I was told was that the traditional publishers now only you can't get a literary agent that's going to stick their neck out and not take like $10,000 up front, you know, because it used to be that maybe they would, they would bank on you and say, I think you're going to be a successful author. So I'll take percentages of the book later. But now they also, it also has a lot to do with big followings and we did not have a big like social following at the time. So what it was recommended to self publish, you know, just pay an organization rather than pay a literary agent and wait for years when we wanted the story out Mm -hmm we paid a self-publisher, but then the next time you can go to a traditional publisher because you have a following and you've got, um, cause you already have book. the first book. book. Yeah. 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 And, it, yeah. yeah. See. and it's also important to have like with, with a story, this, um, uh, emotional and, um, mm-hmm. and it, it, we needed to have as much control over it as possible. Um, because this is a very delicate topic. And um, I think we wanted to just tell it our story our way and make right. it as good as we could and get it out there that way. So that was all part of the decision-making process of doing the self-publishing route. And it was, it ended up being a positive experience, I think. Exactly. And so, and we really got most of our advice on, on um, how to, show, don't tell, don't just tell your story. This happened, this happened, this happened. Mm-hmm. Get the reader into the moment with you right? I see, and yeah. say it. And then, and then we got help on editing, but we didn't get help on content. You know, we wanted to put in what we wanted to put in. And uh, it wasn't like, you know, maybe a traditional publisher would be like, oh no, no, don't put this in because that's controversial or that won't sell or yeah, whatever. Yeah, they would know. edit it probably. And, and Yeah, and I was like, I'm not, no, because if I want to tell my story, I'm going to tell it the way I need to, you know. So it's basically like independent artists nowadays, you know, we release our music also through like an, a distributor and, and uh, there are certain rules of, of like the the quality gets tested of a song, for example, but not the content, you know. Okay, yeah, oh, that's good. That's so, a good analogy. Yeah, is so. Yeah, it was it was an independent, uh, independent publisher. I mean, like a was it like a website where you can say, okay, this is a book, I want to publish it here, or does it then also go into print? Um, because you have a printed copy, so mm-hmm. I'm guessing it's not only online. 
it was actually a, a company, you know, that is called Gate, Gatekeeper Publishing, and it had high reviews. And we just sent our book and paid them to publish it. And okay. I do have to say that we had we had a um, person that was working on our book only, and it was really really neat because she said. Um, I just want you to know I've been working in this industry a really long time and your story is really compelling and bravo for you. And I was like, wow, that was before nice. it was even published, you know, and I was like, oh, you know, maybe we do have something to say. You it know? did feel yeah. good to finally get it out and have it be liked, you know, like for people <laughs> to actually think it was good was was such a, a uh, an accomplishment, you know, like that we're like, oh, wow, we could actually write. We can write her. One of her friends he didn't want to put it down. So he was cutting his hair while reading. Yeah. <laughs> My fiance read it all in one sitting. I mean, all of the feedback that we got and all the reviews that we got, even from like strangers and stuff, we're like, Oh, this was, this was a good book. Cause it's, it's, nice. it's a psychological thriller as well, because that's Ken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and what about the marketing? So the marketing of it is also then you guys. Mm hmm. Yeah, although we're now, uh, because of our, our people that help us with the podcast, we're starting to talk about our book more again, like kind of a re a remarket, a relaunch. Yeah, know? and the, the talks that we did were all part of the marketing, so we would always try to set up more talks and try to get it in front of more people. We would like reach out for more reviews of people that did read it, um, and I was running the socials at the time, so I was trying to like get us... Uh, 